Welcome to the Wildlands. What's up, everyone? I'm Matt. And I'm David. And today we're going to talk about do-it-yourself processing, game processing, as well as taxidermy, trophy hunters versus meat hunters, proper prep, and you get what you pay for when contacting a taxidermist. Also, stay tuned near the end of the episode where we'll talk about our product of the day. So let's jump right into it. All right, so today we have the uh, opportunity to have my father, Mike Roy, here as a guest on the show. Uh, he'll be able to uh, talk about these uh, these topics very well. He's been around it for a long time, but we'll let him give him a little bit of an intro here. Mike, up to you. Hey, guys, how are you? Uh, just to let everybody know, uh, I'm Mike Roy. I'm the owner-operator of Verifa Outfitters here in Bathurst, New Brunswick. I started the business in 1996 with uh, one small camp out of the Wildcat Road in uh, Bathurst, uh, taking in maybe, uh, you know, 20 customers a year for a while. And then uh, in uh, 2001, 2004, we built the, the big lodge uh, near Heat Steel Mines in uh, Miramichi, where we're all alone on a nice big lake, and uh, we take in uh, more people there. So we do three weeks out of our Wildcat camp, and we do three weeks out of the uh, Tomonganoff State Camp in the spring. And that's for bear hunting. And in the fall, we do all our hunts out of Tomonganoff State, which is two to three weeks bear hunting, and then uh, one week of moose hunting up there. All right. So for you on this, uh, on our two subjects of the day today, I mean, uh, that's why we chose to have you on, because we know how... Uh, I mean, this is your livelihood, uh, and and you've been doing it even before you were you were the outfitter. I mean, I remember I remember being a young kid, and before you had the the business, being with you out there doing all this stuff. So that's why I'm going to let Dave ask you the first few questions here, and uh, and we'll get your opinions and your tips and tricks on all this stuff. Yeah, so like when it comes down to game processing, especially like for instance, when we have client when you have clients and, and different things like that. Like, what would you consider as being the proper way to process game? Especially, let's say, somebody who comes in, never done it, and something that you you show them and, and you know, this is how, like, the best way to conserve the meat that you would get out of a, uh, out of the game, any type of game. Okay, well, well for me, Dave, uh, the very, the thing that to me is the most important is after your harvest, you've got to, to, uh, how would we be correctly correct? Well, I, I'd say you got to gut it right away. And to me, the most important part of having good meat is you have to skin that animal as soon as possible. Get the heat out of the meat, hang it up, get the heat out, and then you'll, you'll get the best, the best meat uh, possible. That's my opinion. I imagine also, uh, like, when you're saying, you know, to empty out the, the the carcass as much as possible, like as quick as possible. I imagine also it falls into shot placement as well. I mean, all depending on the shot depends on, you know, how well you can process it afterwards. Well, that's for sure, Dave, because, uh, you know, uh, you shoot them behind the shoulder and you get lungs and stuff, uh, game over real quick. But you get a, a misplaced shot, maybe a gut shot and stuff and, it makes a mess in there when even when you gut it and you clean it good, it still makes a mess. And yes, uh, you have a chance of losing some meat if you make that kind of a shot. And now, you know, I, I like to come back to this because I'm, I'm pretty proud of this, knowing how uh, 
I've learned and seen you uh, do the the butchering of the meat all ourselves. I mean, we've I've seen you do it countless times, and I mean, you were lucky enough, I believe, to have learned from from somebody that was right in there. And I'm I'm pretty proud to say that that my grandfather, your father-in-law, uh, must have showed you a lot of a lot of what you know, right? Yes, that that's where I, I learned the, the the skill of of cutting up the meat ourselves. Uh, as you know, uh, your grandfather and my father-in-law was a butcher for many, many years. And uh, people used to bring him uh, the moose and the deer and stuff in the shed. We remember behind the house in the shed. And we, we'd drink beer and, and cut the meat and all that for them. And he didn't charge them too much compared to uh, if you go to a regular butcher shop where it's, you know, it, it can cost you up to eight nine $900 to cut a moose. So uh, we've learned from him. Uh, after many many years of, of doing it we're doing it ourselves now and you're, you're right into it helping me every time we go on our hunting trips and you're, you're good at it too now and i hope to be able to pass it on to to my son uh, later on as well and i hope you're still around to to give a hand on that for sure oh yeah now like for instance when a when you get somebody in is this like a like have you noticed whether or not it's actually something like do people come in and they'll, let's say they hunt whatever species that they're hunting. Do you have sometimes like that that one client or sometimes a client that'll say like, I just want this cut of meat. And then the rest of it, they're like, well, we don't want that kind of thing. Or do you usually, like on, on an average, do you mostly get people that just say, process everything, I want it all? The, the way we do it on bears, uh, Dave, is that uh, bears are, are, are all muscled. By that I mean is that it's the front quarters are there's so much gristle and muscle on that we we let the guys know when they come in that yes we will process their bear but all we do on the bear is uh back straps okay we debone everything by the way uh back straps and the two hind quarters we debone everything and we'll do the cut they want do they want steaks do they want a roast do they want this or do they want that okay uh, the rest the, the front quarters and the neck on the bears we personally don't do nothing with it but a lot of customers will say well i'll debone it myself and they take the the bones out and in the in the united states which 99 percent of my customers are from uh, they do a lot of sausage so that's the meat they use to bring to their butcher and they get all kinds of sausage made made, made out of that stuff okay so no no big loss really none whatsoever and I mean, if the uh, the customer only wants to hide, I have a lot of locals here in Bathurst that uh, we, I have a waiting list for people that want bear meat. They like it that much. So, uh, and that'll be topic too. Yeah, no, that's for sure. That'll be something that we're going to, we'll dive into a little later. Um, now, another thing that I like, you know, when we're looking at processing the meat and stuff like that. Do you have, let's say, like, if I just ask you the question, like, do you have, in a certain sense, equipment that you prefer to bring out with you on the field when you have to process that game? Is there, like, a product that you you find is, you know, top-notch and and you'll buy or, like, swear by it every time? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Matthew will attest to that. You, you, all hunters come in, you know, they got their, their $200 hunting knife and, you know, nice big stuff. All I use, and you can ask Matt, all I use is a box cutter knife, uh, 5 9 oh, yeah. at your local Canadian tire store. 
<laughs> pack of blades, a 50 pack of blades. Uh, they're, they're razor sharp. You never have to sharpen them. You break them off, you throw them away, you put a new one. And that's my hunting knife. And I tell you, a lot of customers come in and they see me with that thing and they say, well, out with the $200 knife. You get me one of these box knives, box knives because they were great for skinning, for yeah. doing everything. We, I, now I, I honestly have a box knife in my pack. That's, that's exactly <laughs> that's what I bring how, as that's well. That's how you so, roll yeah, with that. Oh, that's how I roll. Yeah. Um, after you, you, let's say you've processed the meat out in the field. Um, do you put it like, cause I mean, I've seen, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not somebody, I'm on the fishing aspect of it. So that's why I'm, I'm asking these type of questions. But like, for instance, when it, when it comes to game meat and stuff like that, I, I don't know if it's true, but I've seen a lot of people use. I think it's cheesecloth. Cheesecloth bags, yeah. They use cheesecloth bags. Is that something that you know you think is is the right thing to use, or do well, you use something differently? Yeah. Well, what we do, Dave, is that we skin the animal, okay? And let's say we're 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 out in a clear cut and we kill a moose, and you know, I mean, by the time you you, you get the moose and you gut it, and uh, you 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 want to get the meat out as soon as possible, if you do have to cut it up. Okay, we usually cut them in quarters and we uh, we take them out one piece at a time, you know, but let's say you're 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 in the backwoods, you're 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 in a bad spot. You want to get that hide off as soon as possible. Yes, definitely. I always have a uh, a package. They come in. There's four bags. They're, they're called game bags. And uh, yes, we'll skin the moose right in the woods, put put the meat in the cheesecloth. It stops the dirt, it stops the bugs and everything. Just to, to get the heat out of the meat as fast as possible, it's good to put them in cheesecloth. If we have it at the camp where everything is controlled, we skin it, we bring it in the shed, and uh, there's no bugs or nothing, no dirt. But yeah, uh, uh, game bags are very important, yeah. Now, after now after the, the butchering process, you got all your cuts you want, you know, uh, either your clients or, or for your personal hunting. Uh, I remember back like when, when I started watching you um, packing up the meat and, and helping out with this and, and me, you, and mom packing up some stuff. I remember using like, you know, freezer paper. And then now we've, we've went up to uh, the new modern style of doing it with vacuum sealers and everything. Um, now, what, what's your opinion? You've seen both. So what's your opinion and is one better than the other? And can you still use both with a, you know, proper, as proper uh, packing? Yeah. Uh, like you said, Matt, uh, years, I'm talking years ago, you know, what, uh, t- 10 years ago before we uh, start using those uh, vacuum seal, seal machine. Yes, the, the, the wax butcher paper was the greatest thing. You wrapped it well, you took the air out. Uh, you remember we used to tape them up with masking tape and stuff and, and the meat used to last no problem a year you know a little more than a year in the freezer and always fresh and then we went to the the, the vacuum seal uh, bags and uh, also in that in that aspect there is uh, a different quality uh, of those bags and stuff and machines and you know we went to that and I mean I'd never go back to the to the paper now that we've been using the uh, the machine, the vacuum seal machines, because you know you can have meat in, in your freezer for two years, two three years, and it's still fresh as the day you packed it. You know. 
So you're 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 confident and safe saying that um, you know even even freezer paper you're you're good for a year, oh, but yeah. vacuum sealer you you've done it before like eat it two years after. Oh yeah, in the vacuum sealer yes, and I mean you know if worse comes to worse there's nothing wrong with the freezer paper don't get me wrong a lot of people are still using it it's just that since you moved away from the house uh, you know. Uh, you used to eat so much that you know that that didn't last a year. <laughs> Now that yeah, the that, you're right. You're completely right on that. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> the year the meat might last more than a year. So for just me and mom, so we need to have something that it it'll preserve it. And you know, I hate throwing stuff away. Good meat, moose meat, and bear meat, and deer meat. So I rather I rather personally use the vacuum sealer. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with the paper, also. And uh, like a quick question like that too, like when we're talking about processing meat and stuff like that, being that you are a guide and that you process the meat for your clients, would you say that, let's say you were going somewhere else or anything like that, do you think it's like, it's almost, it's pretty much like proper etiquette or just like, is it to let the guide, like, would you consider it, it's a better option to let your guide process the game? Or do you sometimes, would you sometimes get a client that would say like, you know, I'll do it myself? Or like, would you find that almost insulting or? No, if, let's talk about myself, okay? And Matthew, know that. I've done it so much. And, and, you know, I travel all over the United States. I go hunting everywhere, fishing. And uh, no, if we kill an animal, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't, I tell the guy no insult or nothing, but I want to prepare my own. I, I do my own cutting, my own deboning. I do all that. Okay. Now, as far as clients come to my lodge, we offer the, uh, the, the, the meat cutting and the vacuum sealing, the freezing. We offer that as, as a package with our hunting trip. But I do have customers that say, no, Mike, uh, you know, I'll do it myself. And we let them do it themselves. We, Give them the knives and the machines. Everything is there. The meat shop is there. They, they they cut it up themselves and they do their own cuts. And that's fine, you know. But I'd say uh, 90% of my clients have us do it. And the other 10% do it for themselves. It's kind of like that, that like unwritten rule of, yeah. of etiquette that uh, when you when you hire a guy, it should be, yeah. you know, yeah. should be the guy that does the, the he knows best. Well... I'm not going to say the meat processing, no, but uh, yeah, once you're in the field, uh, it's usually the the guide that will, once you harvest your animal, he will prepare everything for you, uh, the gutting, the hauling out and stuff, and yeah. that's, that's proper etiquette, but I, I'm going to tell you, when I go, uh, and I've been, like I say, everywhere, I just look at the guy and say, you know, you done it for 20 clients this year, let me do mine, and I do all my own, and You know, yeah, that's absolutely. what I like to do. But there's, yeah, usually the, the, the trip will include the, the guide will gut, get your thing ready. But usually 90% of all hunts, uh, the meat processing is not part of the package. It's an extra. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, coming back to the, the fact that we cut our, our own meat, uh, whether it be game, we fill it our own fish, you know, we, we, we do it all ourselves. What would be your favorite cut? And I already know the answer to this, but you know the the answer will be probably the same as mine. But I, I'm still going to ask you: What is your favorite cut of meat on a 
animal? Me, it's the uh, the back strap. Okay, fresh back strap to me is the best. Yes, people will say the inner loins, the, the, the tenderloins. Yeah, they're good also, but I, I prefer a fresh back strap. I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now topic two. Again, being uh, that you uh, run the, the Bear Paw Outfitters, I mean, you obviously see a lot of guys come in, hunt, uh, get, uh, you know, successfully harvest a bear or a moose, uh, whichever season they're in. And you, you do see them want to apparently, you know, obviously, uh, get them taxidermized. Now, uh, do you see a lot of trophy hunters versus meat hunters, or do you see the all around like meat and trophy hunter? What's, what's your take on that? I'm going to tell you, I, I, I was very, very surprised. I'd say, I've been doing it for 25 years. I would say in the last 10 years, 10, 12 years, most hunters, I'll say 85% of them, of course, are here for the trophy, for the hide, of course. But I'll say 85% of them now will take the meat back home. Bear meat and stuff. Uh, yeah, they want, they want to take that stuff back home. We were actually talking about this uh, yesterday when we were planning out this episode. And you'll be able to attest to it a lot more than us because obviously we were not around then. But like trophy hunting was probably really, really popular. We were saying like in the 70s and 80s, like saying like, you know, I shot this big, you know, buffalo or or lion or whatnot. So you did see the change go from that to to uh, you saw the change go from that to a little bit of both. Obviously, they want the trophy, but they do want the meat. Yes, of course. Uh, I I tell you. uh, my clientele, okay, uh, is, like I say, they're not trophy hunters. Yes, they want the trophy, they want the high, but they, uh, like I say, 85% of them are here also for the meat. And wh- what we've noticed uh, a lot in the last, I'd say, five to six years is so much ladies getting into bear hunting, coming with their husband. Before, the, the lady used to come with the husband. She'd stay in camp, he'd go hunting. Now, no way, both of them go hunting and each get their bearer. It's a big thing now. Well, that's great. That's, yeah, that's actually you know, pretty that's, good. That's, that's pretty good. We were talking about that on another, yeah. uh, in our segment. Because, like, the way that we were looking at it is, like, especially when we were talking about the subject yesterday, uh, we were looking at, like, for instance, back in the day, it was almost like meat hunt, like, to hunt was to hunt for survival or to hunt for, to put food on the table. I say survival, but that's pretty. That's pretty. That's primitive. Extreme. That's yeah. that's extreme. No, but it, it to... was Dave. You know, you gotta think. Uh, uh, people back then had families. You know, ten, twelve, fifteen kids. It hunting was survival. Yeah, and 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 then afterwards, well, then I think like in the in the seventies, eighties, you kind of had like that that flash boom of like let's let's mount everything here. Who can piss further? Yeah, exactly, and, and and flash this in the house and everything like that. And then, you know, all of a sudden, I've I almost feel like at a certain point, there there became like organizations and different things like that that started looking at it badly. And then now, though, it's like the understanding or like the happy medium between both is like not only are you mounting because of a memory rather than in the past where it was more a of trophy. a f- a flashiness yeah. kind of thing. It's like now it's the it's 
like getting the information across that when we mount things, it's because we're mounting a memory. We're mounting something that, that it, that's like not, and this is something that I looked up on the internet. It's taxidermizing an animal was used quite often in museums in Smithsonian museums as a form of being able to understand and study that animal yep. into further detail, yep. which gave us a lot of information now. But coming back to my point, it's more like I see it as, you know, it, it's it's a trophy in terms of a memory. It's, it, it's still a thing of beauty in a certain, you know, as well. Yep. And then right. we were able to tie that into to, to, to the actual meat aspect of it, even if not necessarily like the whole population or as much as the population requires the amount of meat to be able to feed their families. But it's still, you know, we were able to tie both of those things together, I believe. Very well, yes. That's right, because, you know, uh, a trophy, okay, to Matthew or to you or to me may be different, you know? Like Matthew and Absolutely. I go, go to the United States, we go, we go sick of deer hunting every year, you know? He kills all the little ones, okay? <laughs> and I kill the big ones, but he gets his mounted too because that's a trophy to him. And we will post pictures of this. <laughs> and, and I get I get mine mounted, and uh, then he brags that they're his when he puts them on the internet. But that's oh, you you know? get nice eleven pointers, and by <laughs> oh, eleven pointers I mean two little spikes coming out. I don't know. We, we got just remember, like I tell my clients when they come, you know, you shoot the bear that you want to shoot. You know, don't yep. think. Oh, I'm not going to shoot that bear because the guys are going to laugh at me in camp. He's too small or this. Look, if if you pull the trigger, it's your trophy. It's yours. Be proud of it. And that's the way it should be. It, we got to stop, uh, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm going to pass this bull moose because he's only got 40 inch. And then my buddies are going to laugh at me. He's got too much of a small rack. We got to stop that, you know. Yeah. If you get the adrenaline rush from harvesting your animal to me that's that's more of a trophy than the actual one that you put on the wall yeah you know i think so too because uh we'll remember uh when matthew uh shot a moose years ago and he wanted to shoot and i was telling him don't shoot don't shoot not now not now and i remember when he shot it man the shakes and the adrenaline was on we actually talked about we talked about yesterday, the episode uh, we, we recorded yesterday yeah. was about uh, my first bear. Yes. Oh, yeah. And how when I turned around and looked at you, we, when I shook your hand, you were shaking just as much as oh, me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? That was great. I remember that like it was yesterday. Exactly. Yeah. So the trophy is not necessarily what's mounted on the wall. No way. That's what no. we're trying to put across here. The, 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 the memories. Yeah, you look at the bear head or the bear rug. That's your memory, like Dave said. That bring back good memories, the feeling. That's great. But it's not like it used to be before. The guy bragged, I killed the biggest one. And it was a bragging yeah. right back then. It's not like that anymore. So you can you can verify and you can confirm that you see a lot less of bragging right than actual like in society now. That's, that's what oh, you yes. see as a change. Oh, yes, because, you know... Uh, bears are hard to judge and i i got customers that come and you know they, they do shoot a hundred pound bear that's a very small bear and then six months a year later they send me pictures look mike i got my bear back from the taxidermist isn't it beautiful yeah it is you know uh, it doesn't have to mm -hmm. be a 300 pounder 
if it's good for you, it's good for me, sir. You know, and there you go. Yeah, absolutely. And all and see, that's that's putting it out there. All guides, all outfitters should should really take this into into consideration because, like you say, if it's good for you, it should be good for everybody else. Yeah. Oh yeah, but mo most you know, I've been in the outfitter association for a long time, president for many years, and all the guys here in New Brunswick. You know, your customer kills a bear. You're happy for him if it if he pulled the trigger and he was happy with it. We gotta happy be happy with for him. You know? That's right. Absolutely. And, uh, now, to him, it's a trophy. Right on. Let's go and let's live with it. You know. Now, if we're looking at like let's say more onto the taxidermizing aspect of it, um, in what we were talking about earlier when we were talking about you know game preparation and everything like that, would you have like a tip? Or even like what would be your way of saying the best way to prepare the hide for the taxidermist? Like what, say when you're on the field, what would be the like what would be your first step to what's do? What's important? What's important? Okay, well, what's important when you what, let's say you harvested the animal, okay? And you walk up to it, it's there, you shake hands, you yeah, 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 you hug and stuff, and okay. The the very, very first thing you gotta ask yourself or ask your client or the hunter, you know, are you going to get it mounted? Some do, some don't, and that's fine, you know? So if the guy says, yeah, I'm going to get it mounted, well, you got to find out exactly what they want with it, you know? If they tell me they're, they're going to get it mounted life-size, okay? I'm just going to say a life-size. Well, I'm not going to gut it all the way from the, well, the you back of the bear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all the way to under his throat. You know, I'll just go a little ways, take out the guts to have as little cut as possible. But if he tells yeah. me, Micah, yeah, I'm going to have a rug made. Well, uh, being an outfitter, being a guide, I know the special way to, 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 to skin a bear for rug. I know a special way to, to, to skin the bear if he's going to get it like, get it mounted life-size. And with YouTube today, it's so easy. You just go on there and you say, okay, uh, how do I skin a bear for a rug? They'll show everything to you. I know it because I've been doing it a long time. Matthew knows it because he's been around me for such a long time. But to a newcomer that just goes out in the woods by himself, gets himself a bear, get home, just go on YouTube and look, you know, uh, I'm doing a shoulder mount. I'm doing a life size. I'm doing a three quarters. They'll, they'll show you how, to, how to, to, to prepare your hide to make it easy for the taxidermist. And, and you know, like uh, something I say uh, that I s I've already seen, uh, maybe you can confirm this, is like, for instance, like people that that show up um, and, and all of a sudden they, they decide, let's say a guy, a newbie of, of any type decides to, that he wants to get the animal to be able to prepare it for taxidermizing because they like the, the, the fur type or whatever. And I think what I had seen, especially for, for cuts, is not to cut downwards like don't cut with the blade down cut with the blade facing upwards of to course. avoid to have the so, hair that goes so into what you're the saying is don't push away from it always come up with your blade that's what you're saying that, that, yeah very important dave that is very very important because when you're going down you're putting pressure it doesn't mean that you're go your cut's going to be straight but when you're coming up you can control exactly where your blade is going and that's where okay. I'm getting back to, to my good box knife, 
that's always <laughs> razor sharp compared to a hunting knife that might lose its edge, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's great to know, like you were saying, you know, that is the proper way to, exactly. to be able to, you know, not in like to mess up less, to effectively cut your hide in a proper way to taxidermize it. Exactly. And to process it would be oh, in that form. It's, there's, you can always make mistakes and your taxidermist can always sew that stuff up. But mm -hmm. the more sewing he's going to have, the more money you're going to pay. <laughs> That's simple as that. <laughs> so coming to our last question, when, when choosing a taxidermist, uh, when, when looking, like, do you just say, because I know obviously here in town, uh, we both know that there's only one taxidermist. We were, you were getting your stuff done at this other guy, uh, for years, which, which I mean, mounted really good stuff for you. We discovered this, this new guy here in town, which is great because it's not two and a half hours away. And, uh, you know, we're unfortunate enough to, to not be able to shop, shop around for taxidermists, but will you you would say, do you do your homework on your taxidermist and do you get what you pay for for a taxidermist? Oh, for sure, Matt. You, you've known that for, for years. And, you know, uh, you know, at the lodge, we have what now? I don't know, 53 animals mounted in the lodge. And uh, uh, most of them were done by, by a good friend of mine when we lived in Moncton. Excellent, excellent work. You know it. Uh, and now we're, we're, we got our, our guy here in Nigadu. And he does excellent, excellent work for us. But you, you gotta shop around for that stuff because some guys, needless to say, are much, much better than others. We we yeah, know for that. Sure. You, we seen the work, and I mean, uh, when you get a trophy of a lifetime, like now, you know, we're just getting into the spring season, and I'm setting up since we don't have clients. I want mom to kill a 400-pound bear. Well, I, I already have the taxidermist picked out for that. You know, uh, the guy, uh, my friend in the United States that gets all his stuff done. Yeah, yep. it, I'm going to pay a lot of money for it, but the work is different. So you do get what you pay for in taxidermy. That being said, this is a taxidermist you, you've researched, but you've never actually got nothing done. But you know that this next bear will be going to him because of the work you've seen in your research that's right you you i've seen you the, i showed you the pictures that he does for for my friend in the u.s and uh yeah it's that's the guy that's going to do mom's bear for sure right on. Now, and i mean we know our, our friend here in nigadu is an excellent taxidermist and and i would trust him with it but there there's that little little thing that I, I see out of the guy from Indiana that, that that's the guy's going to do mom's bear. Right on. Now, for instance, like, would you say that the art of taxidermy is actually maybe something that's, that in a certain sense is, is like a dying breed almost? It, it, Dave, you, you are correct when you're saying that. Uh, it is a, a dying breed because uh, I don't know, personally, don't know of a, 25 30 year old taxidermist you know <laughs> yeah maybe not not around here in the yeah. states maybe not but here. not around here and even in the united states i mean nobody's getting into that stuff anymore because it's it's people are too busy you know you guys you kids now with with your kids and the jobs and the stress 
you know, guys want to relax when they get home. They don't want to uh, do taxidermists. And, and, and to do it on a full-time basis, you have to be really, really, really good at it to, to make a living. And being good at that stuff, means that you got to do a lot of mistakes before you do get good at it. You know? <laughs> and and I almost I almost wonder too if it could be, you know, in relation or due in part to like that bad rep the bad rap that it got that taxidermizing trophies got back in the day all of a sudden like it was just like all of a sudden people were just all up, um, against it. And I wonder if at that point all the people from the past and and, and everybody that had, you know, maybe lineages or generations of people that that have done the same job and passed on from father to son and so on and so forth, kind of, it, it got a huge kick in the nads, I would say, at that point. And no. then those that stayed, stayed because they loved it. And those that left, left because people hated it. Well, I, I think the anti-hunters did their part way back, but that's, that's way back now. Uh, yeah. Uh, right now, you know, a, a true hunter, uh, I'm talking to, there's hunters and there's true hunters. Maybe we'll have a discussion on that someday. Uh, the, your true hunter uh, will want his memory of his trophy, whether it's a spike buck or it's a 12 point or it's whatever it is. Uh, he's going to try to get the best guy that money can buy that he can afford. Okay. Now yeah. that, that's another part of it, you know, uh, the guy that's going to do uh, Maureen's Bear uh, has won world-class competition in the United States, came out first, and that goes that his price went up. But of course. He, he's that good, you know. So until the guys get up to that level, they charge their price. And, I mean, Matthew and I have been around. Matthew travels with me to the U.S., and we've been, we saw some nasty taxidermy work. To say the least, good stuff, you know. So it, you get what you pay for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, I got like one. La- I got another question too, and this is mainly based off of you know because I mean Matt has always told me about your travels and, and different things like that. Would you say? And, and actually, this is a question that we kind of missed on the on the first topic that we talked about in your travels. Have you noticed, for instance, like we were saying before, where people would would process game meat to feed a family because it was survival? And then it became kind of like a mix between trophy and survival. But have you been to places that you can like actually say, like, you know what, it's it's still like that. There's still a large population of people that that hunt, hunt to, to, live. to live. Oh, man. I, uh, just take last year, Matthew, Noah, and Dave. I went to Alaska twice last year. I went in July fishing, and I went in August uh, brown bear hunting. I, I'm telling you, I lived on the river with those people for 10, 11 days. There are, I, I'm just going to talk about my Alaska trip. Those people on that river were hunting to survive. Their meat for the winter, that's what they were there for. The river was full of salmon. They they were lined up catching salmon to survive, not for trophies, not for nothing. It was to survive. And that's in back, 2020 and 2019, you know? Yeah, that was just last year. Uh, back, uh, let's go back to uh, when Maureen and I lived up in the Yukon, what those years were, 80, 
86 to 89, Matthew was born in Utah. I used to do river trips. Maureen used to drop me and my friend off at, at, at a bridge and pick us up 10 days later, 270 miles down the river. And on the river, people actually were homesteaded there. They lived on the river. Those people didn't have nothing. They didn't have a grocery store. So hunting, fishing was a big part of their survival. And uh, I have still have a lot of friends in Yukon, and I talk to them all the time. They still do these river trips. They, we used to do spring bear and moose in the fall. And these people, these families still live out there on the river. And, and their only means of survival is hunting and fishing, you know, the moose, the, the fish. And what I saw in Alaska just last, last August and July and August, it's still the same. It may not be New Brunswick, but in other parts of the world, yes, yes, it, it is survival. That's a good thing. In my yep, opinion, that's absolutely. a very good thing. Because yep. I, I, I would personally love to be able to do that. And, and you know, again, talking about game processing, uh, you and I both can probably say that 98% of the meat and fish that we eat during the year is wild game that we've harvested ourselves and fish that we've caught ourselves. Oh, I mean, yeah, Matt, you, you know that for sure for me anyway. Uh, well, same mom, here. Not you know. for your mom. But, no, no, but exactly. But for me, all the red meat that I eat, except for a burger here and there, it's it's the moose and, and the deer and the stuff when, when we travel all over the world hunting. And, and the fish we're, we're eating now since last July is all the halibut and, and stuff that was salmon that we caught when we went to Alaska. You know? Exactly. So it's not necessarily saying we're surviving on it, but... A big part of what we do in the sport of hunting is still to feed ourselves, you know, like really when oh, it comes yeah. down to it. Yeah, but uh, let's face the fact. I, I wouldn't have to go uh, go hunting to eat or to survive. No, no. You know, I do it because I like it. You know? Exactly. Uh, that's what we're getting it's to. It's not meat that's full of hormones and steroids and all that. It's good, healthy stuff. No. There you go. Right on. Yeah. So I think on that, we covered pretty much our two topics. And our product of the day today will actually uh, fall very good in, in, our, in our topic number one. Because this is a product that uh, you own and you use and you've changed to in the past couple of years. It's the Cabela's Commercial Grade Vacuum Sealer. I mean, this thing is commercial grade for a reason. When you're butchering up a moose, I mean, you get a lot of meat out of this thing. And, and I mean, uh, not to, not to diss any other brands, but we've burnt out our fair share of vacuum sealers. Yes, I totally agree with you, Matt. Uh, I remember years ago when, when those come out, uh, let's say moose season came around, we, we used to have to buy at least two, uh, food savers. Yeah, they, they weren't all that expensive, but. To do up a moose when, when, you know, we debone everything and we'd end up with 250, 300 pounds of deboned meat. I remember mom and a girlfriend of hers having to, to vacuum seal that with the, the, with the, 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 the less expensive or cheaper brand uh, uh, vacuum sealers. It used to take all day because they heated up, they wouldn't seal, you know. But then I think it was, what, six, seven, eight years ago. I said, heck, I, I, I'm going to go buy a commercial grade one. 
And, you know, I did buy the Cabela's commercial grade one. But there's other brands out there. There's not only Cabela's. There's all kinds. Weston has them. If you get a commercial brand, a commercial grade one, it, 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 it will enhance your, your experience of, of vacuum sealing by a hundredfold, you know, because uh, usually the commercial stuff, the bags are better, the, the, the machines don't heat up, you don't got to stop. It's, it, it's really worth your while if you do a lot of it. Oh, if you do just, you know, uh, a, ha a quarter of a moose or whatever, you don't need no commercial stuff. But the commercial grade, it's a lot better for your veggies, for your fish, for everything. The commercial grade ones are much better. Yeah, because like even this Cabela's grade one, I'm going to say the Cabela's grade because I've used it, you've used it, we know all about it. Yeah. I mean, it comes, uh, you have the option to double seal on there. You have the option if you're vacuuming, I mean, if you're vacuuming fish, uh, most times, you know, it is it is more humid than anything else. You have a setting on there for humid food, for, uh, you know, dry food. You can set the pressure. You can decide when the vacuum is, is tight enough, depending if you have something that's crushable. If not, you know, this machine, and like you said, it doesn't heat up. It nope. has its place to make your bags. You can buy pre-made bags. You can buy rolls to make your bags. Yep. You know, uh, I've used it. You've used it. It's it's an all-around great machine. And like you say, there's other ones out there. But the reason we chose this one is just because we use it. Yep. And uh, I, it's, been, we, it's we, been tried, it's tested, been tr and true. Exactly. If, if yeah. it can go through moose, it can probably do anything else you need to do. In well, North America, at least. Just, just to prove our point, uh, what was it? Three years ago? Four years ago? We had uh, four moose hunters. And we killed four moose in two days we hung them up and we start cutting them and with one machine we vacuum sealed all those moose in in one day you couldn't have done that with the cheaper non-commercial versions of it you know exactly so like you say again it, it almost comes back like we were saying uh in topic two for taxidermy yep. you you get what you pay for yes but for the average person it's not necessary but if you're going to do it year in, year out, uh, more than once a year type thing, definitely consider this product and any other commercial-grade vacuum sealer. Totally agree with you. It's a, it's a once-in-a-lifetime purchase if you use it not like me, like a, an outfitter. <laughs> if you use it, you know, like you just said, two, three, four times a year on big jobs, the, the commercial-grade is the only way to go because you're not going to have problems. When you start, you know you're going to finish. <laughs> Perfect. Well, with that, uh, we're going to sign out on this one. So we'd like to thank you uh, for, you know, starring into our show and, and giving us the, the time that you gave us for all these questions that we, uh, that we asked and everything like that. It was a real pleasure to have you on the show today. You're welcome, guys. And uh, stay safe. And uh, I'll let you know how my wife, if she kills that big bear. <laughs> and we will get you on another episode when we we find a topic that we know you'll uh, you'll fit right in there. With. <laughs> oh yeah! All right, guys. Have a good evening. So, bye bye. Yeah. Right. So have Thanks. a good one, and uh, just wishing everybody a great stay, and hope everyone is well. So with that, myself and Matt, we're gonna sign out. Have a good one. Cheers. Yep.